0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 257, BGA Hotness, January 2020. And we'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers. Bring us a brand new episode. All right, Anthony, so it looks like we are taking a look back or a look forward or just basically what's burning up the charts right now on Boardgamer's Anonymous and our friends at uh, BGG.
1: We do this every month and uh, we have a special episode next week. So we're doing this a little tiny bit early, but it's always the same. You guys know the deal. What's on Kickstarter, what's getting shipped from Kickstarter, and what <laughs> just got announced. So, Remember when Kickstarter wasn't a thing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually don't. No, <laughs> it's, it's been so long. <laughs> And honestly, like the first game I backed on Kickstarter was maybe a month or two into gaming as a whole. And you remember that, because when it came in, we drove out to some weird CD <laughs> bar in uh, Jersey and picked up the game.
0: And they say uh, board gaming's not dangerous. And Anthony's like, so look, this is what's going to happen. We're all going to get in a car, and we're going to go to an undisclosed location somewhere in New Jersey in the middle of the night. And we did that, and it was like... We found this was it, a waste treatment plant and yeah. <laughs> next to it was like a some kind of like dive bar. It was great. That's where we met Stephen Bonacore. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and our uh, buddy and- Andrew Parks,
1: correct? Absolutely. Yeah, it was his game uh on his first game on Kickstarter, Canterbury, which mm-hmm. I still have and actually really enjoy. But it was such a weird experience and that's and in my head that's what kickstarter was then like you back a game you watch it it barely gets over the finish line you get very excited and then you drive to the middle of nowhere and pick it up from the designer (laughs) and now it's just like no it's just a pre-order system for really rich companies it's fine don't worry about it
0: i I think you have to appreciate the fact that your friends went along with you with with the good prospect of being murdered for a spreadsheet (laughs) board game
1: (laughs) yeah worth it 100 (laughs) percent worth it It it's fine
0: like walk into this bar in the middle of nowhere in the dark off of road in the middle of this industrial park. And there's like practically nobody in there and we're like, all right, well let's just all stay together and we'll get out of here. One piece. (laughs) So yeah, that was, those were the good old days of Kickstarter when it was actually about helping back a project that wouldn't get backed otherwise. And as you mentioned now, it's just corporate, you know prepackaging of something that you will back for an exorbitant amount of money or else you will not get the exclusive kickstarter backer things which you will you know bemoan every day for the rest of your life
1: yeah it's kind of hard not to be cynical anymore
0: like did you see the whole thing with the simon
1: time vault thing oh my god yeah Yeah, so, like, they put this up, and it was a Kickstarter, like, I don't know, three or four months ago, and they're like, all right, you back at this low level, and then at a certain point in the future, which we will not tell you when, (laughs) you will get access to the secret vault, quote-unquote, where you can buy the old Kickstarter exclusives for the games you already own at normal prices instead of the crazy eBay prices. Yeah. And, like, I know somebody who did this, and not even for, like, the Arcadia Quest or the Blood Rages, it was for other games that are not as well known so hopefully he got the stuff he was gonna get but it was like a it was a mess when they finally put it up and i was already like this is a cynical i would just awful capitalist just manipulative thing that they're doing they're like oh you guys really want this rare stuff well let's run a kickstarter for it but um the launch of it was like all cluttered up and like I know a lot of people had 503 errors and it just didn't work properly. And it just like it epitomized everything that's bad about Kickstarter for me. Sure. And it was almost funny to watch to play out, but also kinda of felt kind of bad because some people were really looking forward to it.
0: I, I guess in taking it the opposite way, it could be possible. Like you mentioned that it was one of those situations where they didn't want people to play those crazy prices on eBay. So why not? They had the stock and, You know, usually go to the conventions and they have those pieces there. So, sure. But, you know, it's interesting. It's almost like a generational kind of gap between the last couple of years where it's like there is this generation uh, of Kickstarter people like. The boomer generation so to speak that like <laughs> when i was a kid we back kickstarter and we just hoped to gosh darn that it actually went back and we liked it that way now it's just like yeah okay boomer like we're just we're just backing the uh you know pre-order of a game that's gonna come out yeah. and it's fine it's not an issue so, Hundred and eighty dollars, whatever so, yeah it's so. you know it's not even an issue it's gonna back it's fine everyone's backing it it's it's not a thing anymore so sure yeah, I, I, I do see those Petrid Farm memes out there now that it's like, I remember a time when you used to get like reduced shipping and a discount on the game and it was sent early to you and you were amazing and we loved you and we were the best friends. And nah, thing anymore. So, yeah. So a very short lifespan of Kickstarter in a nutshell because everybody wanted to know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Kickstarter is good. I mean, it's obviously
1: you look we'll go through the bgg hotness later and a very significant percentage of those games are from kickstarter and then a lot of them are very good so it's easy to bash on it and say this is what's wrong with it but for every story of how bad it can be there's you know half a dozen stories of how good it can be as well including our late night drive into the middle of jersey
0: so well like i said it's a good story it, you know and I, I was talking about this before the podcast that you know, at some point, board gaming became my you know things I followed my my nights, my weekends, so to speak. so I, I kind of lost touch with all the sports I used to follow and care about. So Kickstarter became the thing that I you know I analyzed the data and I knew the kick track and I knew how far and hoped it would meet certain you know thresholds and hit certain goals and you know, I'm following the game each and every week and I'm reading the comments and I'm waiting for the updates and stuff like that. And even that's changed somewhat, too. But, you know, it's part of the industry. The industry is in flux a bit and it's trying to find its footing and it's landing on Kickstarter pretty hard. So, yeah, we will look at those games in a bit and we will figure out how it actually plays out as far as the hotness is concerned. Because I think Duke, Kickstarter does have a lot to do these days with what hits on the hotness, whether it's just... Currently up for backing or just recently got released. But before we get into all of that fun stuff, Anthony, we have other stuff that we definitely have to talk about. And one of the special things that we have to talk about is we're going to have some uh, special guest episodes.
1: Yeah, we got a new feature coming up, and we're pretty excited about it. And I wish we could tell you guys who all's coming on to help with this, but just kind of want to tease it a little bit and let you know it's coming down the pike. We have a special guest coming on, and specifically for a new feature that we're putting out called Everybody's Favorite Game. And so we're going to bring people on to talk about their favorite games, just period, right? And so mm-hmm. it's one thing to bring someone on to interview. It's another thing to bring them on to talk about our normal features. But we thought we want to make sure we give people a platform to talk about something they're actually passionate about and are really interested in and that you guys would also be interested in. So we're talking to designers and publishers and friends, backers, Patreon backers, and asking them, what is your favorite board game that you want to talk about for 15 or 20 minutes on the podcast? And then we're going to have them on and that's going to be the feature. So I'm excited for it. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. There's a lot of games that don't get a lot of talk because they're not part of the hotness and bringing on somebody who's like, part of the hobby and frequently talks about the hobby and publishes into the hobby or just plays everything under the sun related to it to talk about a game that maybe isn't part of that hotness is for me, that's one of the coolest parts of this. And it's, I think it'll be fun to add that to the podcast.
0: Absolutely. And if you'd like to join the conversation and join the table, as we always would love for you to do check us out at patreon.com slash BGA not to mention all of our social media outlets where you can reach out to us so you can let us know what your favorite game is. As Anthony mentioned, this is going to be an ongoing feature, so please, please, please let us know what your favorite game is so that we could talk more about it on the podcast. All right, Anthony, that's not all that's going on with our listeners. We want to talk about what they're talking about. Let's talk about the question of the week.
1: Yeah, question of the week this week. As it was last week, I'm asking everybody what their response was to our feature. Um, So the question was, what are your gaming sub-hobbies? Do you paint, craft, print, and play, or build inserts for any of your games? And I think we've asked something similar to this before, so it's always fun to kind of go back and ask questions again, especially because people frequently like to post pictures of the stuff that they've done. So Tim said, I got a 3D printer last Christmas and have enjoyed blinging out some of his games, like Tobago, and he posted his blinged out version of Tobago with all the 3D printed pieces he created, which is awesome. Um, Chris mentions he often makes foam core inserts for games. His best, which he pictured in the thread, was for harvest and presents the seeds like a grocer's table. It looks pretty cool. Uh, we have other people mentioned that they like to do a little bit of painting, uh, and but specifically like engaging with the community in that process. So like getting on forums, talking about people like what paints to use, um peter mentions he likes to experiment with making tabletops for gaming that can sit on a folding table so basically building a high-end gaming table but at a much lower budget Mm because frequently those things are hundreds of dollars who can do that and ct henry mentions with games he loves he likes to upgrade the components in order to achieve the most satisfying experience so he bought white cakes and black coffee mugs for grand austria hotel which just has the little cubes right Wow. So, yeah, I know. Like, if you play a game enough, why not? Uh, yeah. I, and all of these fall into, like, the categories we were talking about last week, but it's just cool to hear people's specific examples of how they're doing those things.
0: No, that's fantastic. Really bringing a lot of fun to the table, especially if you do love that particular game. So you could really focus on making it the best overall thematic experience possible. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, Anthony, but sometimes when you bring the game to the table we've talked about this a little bit, is like you wanted to make that an event night, right? That maybe the game is really long or really complex or it has some teaching to it. So it's going to be the one game that you're going to play or the major game you're going to play. So why not pair it with like music or I know there's some weird kind of like RPG smell candles or, you know, any type of food that goes along with the game or drink that goes along with the game, not to mention obviously every aspect of the game where you want to kind of make it the best experience possible because you know this is what we do this is what we love
1: absolutely yeah i mean it's and it's almost depressing sometimes when you bring out a game and it's just like ah, these are crappy components and it's just flat and it's hard to see everything and you know you're like i I want the whole thing i want this is my whole evening you know this is a percentage of my week this is what i look forward to i want it to be like a whole thing and it's, it's fun ways to do that
0: Yeah, especially with the way board gaming is going these days. We talked about Kickstarter a little bit, but the idea that so many games are coming out, they're coming out so incredibly fast, and you know sometimes you only get the game to the table once, and you want to have the biggest impact and the best impression possible. So it's really amazing to see people go the extra mile for that. And we would love to see your content, your pictures, your stories about that more. So again, hit us up on social media. Post some pictures. We would love to feature them on the uh, podcast. All right, everyone. So that's what's going on with our listeners, Anthony. I know everyone's really excited about the upcoming feature because it's mostly, uh, partially Kickstarter based. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. I do have two games about tea. Huh? T? Anybody? I don't know, man. <laughs> I think I think we've all agreed as a community that we're all obsessed with Kickstarter and that you need to have a Kickstarter acquisition disorder because that's what we're obsessed about. All right.
1: All right, cool. So games about tea, I'm on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> first one up here. Lucky came out for at... you,
0: that was number two on the list.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm number two. You can take number one. So all right. I'm, I'm going to do number two and uh, two games actually. And the first of these I have not even looked at yet. I just, Kind of got an eyeball of it recently. And that's Alabari, a nice cup of tea. This came out at Essen, and it is from Tony Boydell, who designed uh, Guilds of London as well as Snowdonia, which I got the super mega deluxe version of that over the summer. So Alabari is a reimplementation of Snowdonia, and it has the railways that Snowdonia has, and you're moving along those. It has the worker placement element and the contract fulfillment. And basically in this game... Instead of kind of building out the countryside, you are cultivating and harvesting tea on your own personal estates, but also helping to build the railway um, in Bengal and Himalayans. So the different worker placement actions are similar to Snowdonia, but you can kind of power them up with uh, chai tea that you're going to make out of the harvested tea leaves that you pick up. And ultimately, the game is not particularly heavy. It's kind of that middle weight, similar to Snowdonia. Um, not nearly as much stuff to like layer on top of Snowdonia after, you know, the 10 years that game has been out, but thematically and design wise, it just looks really interesting. So I'm excited to get this one out. I know it's been kind of floating into the North American uh, market slowly in the last few weeks. Um, I think board game bliss had it recently and maybe miniature market had some copies. So hoping to get a chance to play it soon. Hopefully someone around here has it. Uh, But it's just that kind of theme that I really enjoy with mechanics that I also like and just have had trouble getting to the table in Snowdonia. So that is the first one. The second one is a game that I have actually had a little bit of experience with, though I have not played it with a full group of people yet, and that's Formosity. So this (laughs) is from designer Chulun Kao and published by Soso Studio. And it is coming west from Tasty Minstrel at some point in the future. Uh, I don't know if it's coming on Kickstarter or not. They have not said as such, but I guess they've picked it up. So it's happening. But this is a worker placement game in which you're going to send out farmers and tea masters to do various actions, including harvesting tea, uh, processing that tea, selling it to the domestic and foreign markets, and then upgrading various things. Um, The... Basic mechanics are fairly simple, but the really cool thing that I like, and all I've done so far is just kind of play through this solo to learn it, but the thing that I really like about it and that I'm excited about is that when you harvest tea, you put a farmer out on one of these patches, the row that that farmer is in, corresponding to one of the tea refineries, will move up every single tea master in the refinery. So in maybe one of those is yours, maybe three of them are other people's, so if you put enough people out to refine the tea, then any actions other people take are going to benefit other people. So you have to be very careful about what actions you take and when you take them and who they benefit. Uh, your own little refinery board is very interesting as well. So you're going to collect tea into the bowls and they're going to be certain levels of wetness depending on the weather of where you've harvested them. And then when you refine them, you'll move them into the the refinery parts of your board and they're gonna be at those levels of wetness, but you're only really gonna be able to use that tea for anything useful if you can dry it out and add flavor to it, which is other actions that you take. So it almost has like a pick up and deliver type of feel where you get the cubes by going to the farms, but they don't really do anything until you've processed them enough through other actions that you take to dry them out and add the flavor and prepare them. And then ultimately, once your worker reaches the end of that line, get them ready through processing to sell and it just seems really really cool basic mechanics very simple the rule book is a nightmare so hopefully tasty minstrel fixes that up but i really like the idea i'm excited to play this so hopefully i get this to the table here in the next week or so that's uh formosity is the second one there
0: well i think unintentionally anthony you, you did bring kickstarter in there because i know that a lot of people and you mentioned this a bit Snowdonia was a kind of massive game that was kind of lurking out there for a while on Kickstarter and people were backing it. And I remember looking at it and going, Oh, this is really kind of problematically ugly. Not in like <laughs> an unattractive way, so to speak, but just like it just looked it just looked hard to look at. I, I guess that was the that was the thing. So obviously, you know, this newish kind of version or a reboot kind of version of it. Is definitely welcomed. Actually, both these games were at packs unplugged, and I was totally bummed out that I think there may have been one quasi teacher who was trying to cover all of the games from the Asian market, and he was few and far between, and I don't think he really knew much of the game. So these games kind of went unplayed, and they were on my must-play list. So I was constantly circling around, and I think. Uh, for most of tea, I actually sat down at, and there was someone trying to read the rule book, and I looked at them, and then we sat down for like about 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, "You have no idea how to play this game." And you're like, "Ah, oh, we'll we'll read through it," and I'm like, "I'm out." <laughs> I just I just kind of yeah. walked off. Yeah,
1: that rule book is a nightmare. Like I tried to read it a couple times, and like each section will have a paragraph that's just one long sentence. <laughs> like, and you read it like six times, and you're like. I don't know what you're trying to say. And even if I did know what you're trying to say, you're leaving all these details out. So I, I actually relied on the heavy cardboard playthrough to, mm-hmm. to learn this one. It's not a very complicated game, which makes the rule book that much worse. But the game itself seems good. I'll report back once I've actually played it.
0: All right. And let me know because, you know, like I said, it felt like a missed opportunity because the games did look, you know, fairly interesting at the table. All right, so I am actually going to talk about a current Kickstarter, even though Anthony tried to avoid it. He talked about Kickstarters. Ah. (sighs) Ah. So, here's the thing. You know this about me if you listen to the podcast. I tend to prefer the cuteness of certain components and boards and artwork and things like that. I, I appreciate artistry just in general. And, you know, cutesy little baby Yodas are always a good thing. So... Board gaming geek stuff is always a big thing, and I happen to like one of these companies called T-Turtle, T-E-E, Turtle. Turtle. And they do T-shirts, surprising. And they've been at some conventions I've been at, and they do really cool meme-ish kind of stuff. And they actually have some pretty serious licenses, like Star Wars, so to speak. And I was, you know, searching around Kickstarter looking for something to follow because I'm having that existential... (laughs) <laughs> vacuum of like I need to have something to kind of, you know, pass the time so to speak. And I was like, well, you know, Dark Tower is is childhood-ish for me and I want to back that, but it's super expensive and it seems like they're not going to have anything Kickstarter exclusive on it, so why not wait, you know, a month or I guess a couple of months and then just get it at a much reduced price without having to, you know, sell a kidney. And Oath seems pretty awesome, but it seems like one of these odd kind of new invention games, which Leader Games is kind of known for, and I'm not really sure if that's going to go over well with the group. So ninety dollars seems a little high on that, and you know, <laughs> it's this the same thing with the uh, I think it was it the Foundations of Rome, which seems like a super and crazy expensive, light version, Emerson Matsuchi, who I love his work, but again, I don't make that kind of money, so, you know, it might be one of those things to wait on a bit. But I did come across something, again, that was very cute and turned out because it was from T-Turtle, the artwork here, it was something that did catch my attention, and it's called Here to Slay. Now, what really caught my attention here was it's a strategic fantasy card game, and I was like, oh, I like Strategy and I like fantasy and I like card games. So, this seems like all of those things. And it goes on to kind of, you know, reference being a role playing adventure game. So, all right, strategic card playing and role playing. All right, I'm not too sure about this, but it's currently on Kickstarter. And it was something I was looking at. Like, all right, cool. I love the artwork. Found out who was doing it. Made perfect sense. What is the game exactly? Well, it seems like. the game is a little bit of a cross between Munchkin and Munchkin-esque type of games, so to speak. So, uh, or maybe even a little bit of a Cutthroat Cavern type of situation. So basically what you do is you get an initial character. You get this party leader, and the party leader is your main character. That's basically who you are. And it has this really cutesy kind of woodland creatures as these kind of D&D archetypal heroes and great artwork, great big kind of tarot cards go along with that. And you're going to have a special ability. And basically the game comes down to either collecting enough members for your team that you reach that challenge and win, or you knock out three monsters. And that's basically it. Obviously the monsters are really hard to knock out. So throughout the game, you are knocking out monsters that will give you a special ability through the game or you are collecting party members and obviously there's also other things you can collect in the game there's weapons there's magic there's a whole bunch of additional stuff that can actually make your character more powerful and in fact give you items that will also make other people you know lose some special abilities so basically the game is you you are going to draw cards you are going to play cards on your turn You're going to try to use your action points to either recruit party members. If you're able to get uh, six party members that are all different classes, you win. If you've not got three monsters, you win. And as other party members, as other players are doing this, you are playing cards on them to modify their actions or bonus up your actions to kind of trip them up a bit boost up your roles to make to make those certain um, roles that you need in order to accomplish certain things, and then actually to be able to challenge people. So if someone throws down something that's going to help them, you can challenge them, and then there's a dice roll, and there's modifiers. In all, it's a fairly simple game. It's really nice to look at. The graphic design's good. The artwork's good. It's got that cutesy kind of root. If you like root, this is kind of like root as far as... I think what they were looking for, what they're going with. They've already produced, I think it's Unstable Unicorns, which was just kind of like a set collection game. And that was a very lighter game. This is a little heavier, but it's not really a strategic... It's a card game. It's not really a role-playing adventure game. It's basically, I like cute, root-like creatures. I want to have some really awesome cards about them. I want to set collect them or I want to knock out the monsters, and I want to play things. So really, it's a light, party-esque game that is based in the d and esque universe with no real role-playing elements, so to speak, other than rolling dice to meet certain conditions. But otherwise, it's a. it seems interesting. It seems fun. I recommend taking a look at it just because, again, there's enough good to this, and it seems like it fits a little bit more of a uh, cleaned up version of Munchkin, so to speak. So if you do like, again, all of these elements, check it out. It's on Kickstarter. It's called here to slay, and it will wrap up on Tuesday, February 11th. Some interesting backing levels. The base level is just 20 bucks for the game, which makes perfect sense. And then it goes a little crazy because they're giving you plats, which you don't really need, but it really boosts the price up. So it is completely possible that you can either pay $20 for the basic game or spend $105 on pretty much everything that's in the game. So, you know, again, be careful. They're cute, and they will make you want to give them the, all their monies. Man, you lost me at uh, Munchkin. I, I know. know. I think I zoned I... out the rest of that. <laughs> it's not... It was a really... <laughs> all right, so those are the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table Anthony, we are talking about the games at the table. And we're going to let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are dodge and they should avoid them at all costs like Anthony with Munchkin. Or those games are the dreaded bird like me and Snowdonia. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right. I have a trick-taking game. Who are you and what have you done, Anthony?
1: I know it was an old yes. joke. Yes yeah i know well that's why i paused you had to wait for it yeah Uh, (laughs) this one's out of japan it's called nikosa dice um it's designed by yusuke matsumoto and it's not one i picked up because i didn't go to pax but several of my friends who did go to pax and live here in pittsburgh brought it back and therefore i've had a chance to play it um what is different about this particular trick-taking game is that it uses cards and dice so You have a hand of cards that you start every trick with, but you also have certain dice that you're going to draft. You'll get two dice out of the bag. You roll those. You get what you get. But then you also get a series of dice that are put in the middle of the table. Those are set up to draft, and people will take one at a time around the table until there's only one left. The one that's left is the Super Trump. So the color of the die is the Trump. The color and number is the super trump and that number as well as the trump so basically if the final die that's left is a red six then all sixes are now red sixes but the red six if you have that particular card or dice that are red sixes are super trumps which beat literally everything right so like a lot of games in this particular genre the last person to play that is the winner of the trick and. You're going to have certain dice in front of you based on the draft that you did, and you can play them as cards. So you can play a green three as your bid on that particular trick, if it's a die, right? So people can see some of what everybody has, you know, not quite half, but like five or six of the things that people have in their hand are public knowledge. At the same time, you're going to have one die left at the end of that trick. That is your bid for the round, and this is like the one mechanic that I ended up making me like trick taking games a little bit more um, Skull King does this as well Where well, you're bidding on how many tricks you're gonna take In this particular case, you don't really have to bid until you play your last die And that last one goes over unless you bid zero in which case you say that at the beginning of the round I think I'm gonna get zero you bid zero and you play your whole thing, but the the cool thing here is it's it's kind of dynamic whereas in skull king every round you bid from the start like i'm bidding zero i'm bidding two i'm bidding three based on the hand that you have but i really like that mechanic because whether you have a good hand or a bad hand you have something to work towards like oh my hand's really bad i'm gonna bid one i have a one die or my hand's really good do i want to bid four or five maybe even six but if i go that high and get really aggressive what if it happens if i go to seven then you lose right so it's a cool idea. I really like how it, it plays out. And with the dice here, it's even more interesting because you have like some of this public information that's just out there. So I really like Nikosu dice. Um, I don't know that any trick-taking game like jumps to that buy level for me. Maybe Skull King because that one's just so much fun and plays over the 10 rounds really quickly. So this is a solid play. I really enjoy it. If anybody I know brings it out, I will absolutely play it. I'm probably not gonna track down a copy myself. Um, the only game that i trick taking game that I've played that I like, immediately wanted to buy is not even out yet. So I'm just playing people's print and play copies of the crew. But this is a good one and like kind of good solid interim game that uh, I'm happy to play whenever we have a few minutes left over between other games. So that is Nikosa Dice and that is a solid play from me.
0: Well, it does look like a very interesting idea on trick-taking and the artwork. I mean, there's not a lot of it, but the artwork and the graphic design are pretty solid. I really like the look of this game. I think it's it's very different, and I don't hate trick-taking games. So I'm glad to hear that (laughs) you're coming back to the uh, good side. Eventually, we'll get you along on the Munchkin train, but uh, yeah, this is the first step for you the first no no, no 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 yeah you nope, said that no. you said that about trick trick taking games so we'll, we'll
1: see yeah but then they uh they got some mechanics in there that are good because the old ones were bad mm-hmm. and now they're good
0: mm-hmm. uh, is munchkin mm-hmm. good
1: yet you tell me mm-hmm. when munchkin is good i'll come back
0: <laughs> all right so let's talk about a game that i think you have your own opinions on so to speak so let's let's actually get into this i want to talk about Western Legends. This is a game that came out back in 2018 from Colossal Games. It was a pretty big hit. Another Kickstarter out there because now everything is kind of Kickstarter. And Western Legends was an open box, sandbox kind of game where you were one of these outlaws that was roaming around Western town and out in the prairie yonder out there, so to speak. And it's two players. And it's an American Old West out there. And you're going to get one of these historical figures or non-historical figures, so to speak. And the idea is, again, because it's just a general game, you're getting victory points. So whoever hits the victory point threshold, because you can set the game short, medium, or long, will trigger the end of the game. You play one more round, and that's pretty much the game. So basically, you have your character. Your character has a special ability. At a certain number of victory points, I think it's five in the game, you will be able to use your special ability throughout the game. And that has a little asymmetrical kind of play to it, which is pretty nice. I mean, the, the powers aren't radical. They're usually a little bit of a bonus here and there. So basically, you're on your own. You can decide to do bad things. You could rob the bank. You could shoot other players. You can go on the wanted list. Which will score you victory points, but because you're on the wanted list, all the people who decide they want to work with the marshal can do things like arrest the bad people and score victory points. So there is a little kind of running around the board trying to avoid each other or capture each other throughout the game, which is kind of interesting. It reminds me of Zaya a little bit as far as, you know, either you do your own thing or you try to track down the other people throughout the game. But basically, the game comes down to a lot of different open actions that you could take. You can gamble. Uh, Gambling comes into the game. You play a Texas Hold'em type of hand. You'll be getting these poker cards throughout the game. You get them at the start of each round as a possibility, but you'll also be able to pick them out throughout the game. And those cards will give you special abilities, allow you to move more, take more actions, but also be able to use in poker hands. And also in duels. So when you play a duel, you'll actually be using these poker cards, and whoever has the highest card will win that duel. Or obviously, based upon Texas Hold'em rules, will be able to win that poker hand and get a lot of money. Beyond that, you'll be able to drive cattle, which means basically you go to one side of the board, you pick up a token, you try to run across the other side of the board and drop the cow off. Someone could hustle you along the way, so you gotta be a little bit careful with that because the cattle's gonna give you victory points and special abilities. There's an opportunity to get gold, so you can prospect for gold. You'll roll two dice, and if you get gold, you get a nugget. And if you can run it back to the bank, you score money. As I already mentioned, robbing the bank. You can fight these random bandits, it doesn't make you a bad guy. You're just fighting them, and to win, high card wins in that. And that's pretty much it as far as the game's concerned. As I mentioned, It is a sandbox tabletop game, and it has a really nice-looking production for it. The components are quite good as far as the miniatures are concerned. And as I mentioned, there are all these different historical-esque type of characters that you can play in the game. The board looks nice. The graphic design is good with the exception of how they sectioned off certain areas of the board. They have these very thin lines, which are very easy to not be sure exactly where you are, what you need to do, and moving is a big part of the game. This game could be interesting if, again, I hate to use this kind of like caveat, you have the right group. Now, again, if you've ever met the right group, let me know because I want to play with them (laughs) because clearly these are the right people to play the vast majority of games. Beyond that, you could kind of go to your own area and do your own thing you could kind of mix it up with other people you could get kind of get lucky as far as the cards you draw or the nuggets that you get it's a race it's basically a race game and if people are not keeping track of other people throughout the game a player could run away with the game and then everyone's like well why don't you stop them well why don't you stop them so again interesting game great production you get your character, you get some weapons, you could buy some upgrades, you can buy some travel companions, so to speak. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much it. So, Western Legends gets a possible play, again, based upon your group, because, again, it's one of these open box games that if everyone's paying attention and doing the things that they do or need to do in the game, then great. If they are not, and someone is fortunate where their starting location happens to be, or how the bandits roll out, then that might be an issue. Or if the story cards come out, which just are kind of like bonus cards, if someone is more in a position to do those faster, then that's a thing too. So it gets a play with a giant asterisk, because the right group makes it fun, the wrong group makes it terrible. But the one thing I will step away with the game is the downtime between turns because of the number of players and because again the number of things that you can do even though it's a fairly simple game can be extensive so those are all things to keep in mind so based upon your mileage it's a dodge or it's a play again just based upon the group and how much time you want to waste in between turns it's it's one of those things like i know several people who own the game and
1: several who really like it a lot and it's hard because those same people really like Zaya like sure. the Drift System and have compared it to that. And I have tried with Zaya. Our first play is infamous as one of my few burn reviews in the history of this podcast. And my second play with the expansion is only slightly improved. It's still a dodge for me, but I it just it's just not my kind of game. So like this open sandboxy Ameritrash type of game, it's just I've just Accepted it's not for me, and I will avoid them. So I probably will never play this, and your summary does not change that. (laughs) So
0: Yeah, I did, you know, I heard a lot about this, and it was even featured in South Park, that they really were into the game, and I can kind of see it, but it doesn't have enough story elements to make it engaging enough on a character role-playing level, and yet it doesn't have enough crunch to it to make it a thinky strategic game. It's just like, all right, where am I on the board? What's closest to me? I'm going to do that thing until something else needs to be done, and then I'll do that thing. But the production is top-notch, whether you get the Kickstarter version or not. I hear the expansion makes it better, but again, it's a sandbox game. As Anthony, you are mentioning here, this is either a thing for you or not a thing for you, but mostly it's your own game experience And that may not necessarily be so great. All right. I want to talk about a expansion rather quickly because I think this is a game that a lot of of us have played out there. uh, But we haven't been able to get the expansion to the table. And I did. And this is Everdell Pearlbrook. Now, this was an expansion that came back out in 2019. It was another Kickstarter that was out there. I know that Everdell has a double expansion that was recently, you know, backed. But this one is all about the Pearl Brook. So it's all about getting pearls. And it's all about your frog ambassador. So basically, Everdell is a tableau builder, which means that you are going to take cards in many different ways. You are going to pay the cost, add them to your city. So you'll have about, I think, a max of 15 cards, depending on situation, but a max of 15 cards that you can put out. And they're going to give you bonuses throughout the game or a one-time bonus. And there are critters that are these animal creatures or constructions where the animal creatures live and work. And the Pearl Brook expansion adds a separate board that is going to give you a whole little river, little section. It's going to give you four additional spots that you'll be able to uncover if you match the tableau requirements based upon symbols. You'll be able to get that pearl, and those pearls are helpful because with the expansion comes new wonder goals, and the wonder goals are going to require pearls. So collecting pearls are really helpful, and revealing the additional spots will give you a pearl, or there's one spot that you can turn in a number of resources and cards and get a pearl just from that alone— so your frog ambassador is this new meeple that you'll get in the game, and it will be the only meeple that can go to that section. It doesn't add a lot to the game. It's just, again, four cards, four spots, and one additional spot that you can go to based upon what materials you can turn in. The wonders change in the game. There's a couple additional cards that add to the game. If you like Everdell, and I actually do like Everdell quite a bit, then this expansion is more of the same. That's not a bad thing. It's just more of the same. It doesn't necessarily add too much to the game. It doesn't take too much away from the game. And, you know, it has some different features. I mean, it adds another player. You can play the otters. So I'm a big fan of the otters. So that's always good to see. And it adds adornment cards. Now, if you play Terraforming Mars, you might know that building your tableau in that game takes a a bit of time. Same thing here in Everdell, but these Endormand cards are these two little cards that you'll get at the start of the game. If you turn in a Pearl, you'll be able to utilize one of those cards. It will give you a a one-time bonus, and it'll give you a scoring bonus at the end of the game. These cards are extremely important because the problem with Everdell, if there is one, is the fact that if you don't get the right cards just by luck, you're going to lose the game regardless how well you play. Just because you didn't get a final bonus card, that's the thing. That's the thing. Very much similar to Grand Austria Hotel, where those little big bonus cards. You didn't get one of those? Eh, you're out of luck. So Everdell, Pearl Block, gets a play. Again, you like the game. You'll like this expansion. You are on the fence about the game. It's not going to push you over the edge as far as being a big addition to the game. But it's a nice little addition if you already like the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I
1: love the... Uh the base game. I have not had a chance to play the expansion yet, even though I picked it up at Gen Con, so hopefully I get to soon. I mean, based on your discussion, I don't know that it will change too much about getting it to the table for people who are hesitant to play it. So, I'm kind of still waiting on the second batch of expansions mm-hmm. with the two new ones including the big one. But um I mean, new content for any game I like is great.
0: Absolutely. Alright, I think so that's everything that's hitting our table. Let's get on to the feature review. So for the feature review this week, we are talking about Board Game Geeks' top hotness for January 2020. We're going to talk about the hot 15 games that are up there and why it should matter to you. Anthony, what do you have?
1: All right, so we have 15 games on the hotness. We're not going to go through every single one of them because, as we state every single month... There are several games that just never leave this list. So we have our Gloomhavens, our Terraforming Marses, our Wingspans, our Roots. We know why they're there. They all have new content coming. Of course they do. But, you know, let's look at the new stuff. So let's start at the bottom with number 15, which is Return to Dark Tower. This is one of the aforementioned crazy expensive Kickstarters that you mentioned earlier in the show. I... I mean, I have like vague memory of this, not like the crazy nostalgia some people do, but the price alone, regardless of nostalgia, I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm out,
0: right? Yeah, I have the crazy nostalgia for this. It wasn't something I owned as a kid. My cousin actually owned this, and I remember that little voice and the little sounds from the tower, and it was something that I was just like enthralled by. So the fact that this actually came out again was just something that blew my mind a couple years back because otherwise, I think the game was pretty expensive if you wanted to get the older version of it. That being said, the older version is obviously not a profound game, but you bring in Isaac Childress with this. Yeah, and Rob Davio? Oh, okay, so there might be something to this game. But as I mentioned earlier, it's rather expensive, and there's not Kickstarter exclusives for this, but it's definitely something to check out. I mean, I recommend checking out the Kickstarter page just for the... The the you know, the look of it. I mean, I think they did a really good job. Don't like the app integration. Really wanted something in the tower. I know that uh most people are gonna, you know, balk at that, but I I'm just that guy that I want this game for like twenty, thirty years, and there's no way I'm gonna believe that the app might still be up and available.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not like hugely against apps and games, but when they cost two hundred and fifty dollars, I'm with you. Yeah. Like, this is, it's like a, it's an iPad. like It at is. Price. I mean, come on.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, all right. So next up on the list is Nemesis. This is a alien-like game. Uh, Alien, the film franchise from the Awakened Realms uh, team. And it shot up the top 100 list. It's actually number 43 in the top 100 now. And this shipped a while ago for Kickstarter backers, but I think it hit retail pretty recently. So that's why we're seeing a lot of posts about it. It's hitting a lot of top 10, top 100, top whatever lists, and it's a game I haven't had a chance to play, but I did get a chance to, like, look over people playing at Gen Con, and it, honestly, for a semi-co-op game, which is not usually my thing, it looks really interesting, so I am excited to give it
0: a play. You know, the semi-co-op thing is always kind of iffy for me, and I just played a lot of games that do have those things. And I just can't do this. I mean, again, we're talking about a very expensive miniatures game that really just looks very good at the table, but I, I just think that the complexity really isn't there as far as what you're getting for that price. I I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I've i come across it a couple of times, and I've just kind of passed at it, but maybe at some point I'll finally land at the table. All right, uh, next
1: up on the list is Tortuga, 2199 this is up on Kickstarter right now from Gray Fox Games. Uh, it's from Mc- Michael Loiko and Dennis Plastinine uh, Michael is a first-time designer. Dennis has a couple games, um, nothing you probably have heard of too much, but this is Pirates in Space. That's basically all it is. Um, it was demoed at Essen and currently on Kickstarter right now seems pretty standard in terms of euro mechanics you've got your deck building your exploration your various area control mechanics again you're a pirate in space so um the thing that really jumps out to me is the art design looks really cool yeah no it's just in it like mechanically can't really see enough need to watch some videos on this but all right next up on the list the isle of cats game of 2020 you heard it here no chris doesn't no no, you're not allowed to talk about it you don't (laughs) care it's fine
0: (laughs) no 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 (laughs) um
1: i actually have this game i I backed it it's from uh frank west who did city of kings and i'll be honest i haven't had a chance to play it yet but like looking through the rules and reading up on it i can see why a lot of people are loving this game like it's climbing the list pretty fast it's got an 8.3 on bgg it's up in the top 2000 now i don't know man this might be this
0: might be a top 10 contender for 2020 i'm just saying Look, if you like cats, that's fine. That's your thing. I respect that. This game looks ridiculous. And it just, I, n-
1: no. <laughs> I don't even like cats, but I love me some polyominoes. And this is all polyominoes. <laughs>
0: so, uh, I'm looking forward to playing it. That's all I got to say. It was nice knowing you. When you. When it melts your brain, don't come crying to me. like i love cats now oh no what have they done to anthony damn it um all right so
1: next up on the list maracaibo this is from alexander fister uh capstone games and it's not new to the list at all it's been on here for a little bit but it has moved up to like 349 in the rankings it is now in distribution for those who still have it i think it's out of print uh in the u.s at least but it's a, a very solid euro a lot of people Putting it on their list for 2019, kind of after the fact, because it came out so late.
0: It's a fun game. It has a solo mode, it has a campaign mode. Otherwise, I feel like it's not the evolutionary step that I was hoping he was going to take, be just because it's a little too fiddly for what it is. And I feel like there's just a better game that's going to come from him. And I was hoping and praying that it was going to be this game and it just did not hit me like that
1: yeah yeah i could see that um uh, all right so next up on the list is a second game from awakened realms tainted grail the fall of avalon and i know this one jumped into the top 20 or so on tom Vassell's top 100 which he just published and Everybody I've spoken to who backed this and has it in hand absolutely loves it. It's got a 9.0 on BGG with, like, a 1,000 ratings. 2,000 ratings, I'm sorry. So very, very strong feedback for this game already. It is like that solo co-op adventure type of thing, so I, like, steered way clear this on Kickstarter. Just no interest at all. But I, Arthurian Legends, Celtic Mythology, kind of a unique twist they put on it, beautiful miniatures. I was really tempted at the time, and I just... I knew I wouldn't get it played because it's just not my kind of game. But based on what I've heard about it, I at least want to try it because it seems like a, kind of a cool puzzle, at least, for an mm-hmm. adventure game.
0: Yeah, it's another one of these games like Joan of Arc or Kingdom Death Monster where you are going to commit to this game as a lifestyle game. As you mentioned, it's a solo or a co-op adventure, and it does have that pretty hefty... You know, price tag as far as the cost of all the miniatures. Oh, they look great. And, you know, I didn't do a Kingdom Death Monster, which seemed to be still the most unique version of this game. I love Arthurian Legend. I studied in school. I'm totally on board for that. But I just can't seem to do this. But if you have invested in this and if this is your game, I would love to hear more about it. Yeah, yeah, me too. All
1: right, next up, Marvel Champions the card game. Uh, this one is a huge release from 2019. It's ranked 156 already on BGG, and probably the reason it jumped up this high on the list. I think it's number six on the hotness right now. Is that they released three new packs right around Christmas? I think like the day day before or the day after. We um, had two new hero packs with Captain America and Miss Marvel, and then the Go- Green Goblin uh, nemesis pack. So lots of new content just hit and that tends to bump these lcgs up the list so no new content coming in january but i think they have a new pack coming in february and march too so this will stay up here for a while
0: i'm a big marvel fanboy again i and i just honestly do hate to say this but the artwork and the generic feel of this game just doesn't do it for me so i do have a friend who does have a copy so it might actually hit the table and i might get dragged over to play so i'm hoping that i have a different experience i know that you really enjoyed this game but it just it just has not landed for me it seems like just another kind of legendary-esque type of standard issue ip kind of game i don't know man i think if you can get past the artwork you'll like it it's it's
1: really really good mechanically um there are there are some bits of art that i will agree like the captain america deck in particular i was not a fan of like I just kept having your voice in the back of my head, like kind of <laughs> ugly, because not not all of them are that ugly, but that one was like this doesn't look very good. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so. Look, if if we've if we've now come to the literally platinum age of board gaming where every board game is a hundred dollars and like uber uber overproduced, then I want some decent artwork. I'm sorry. All right, we're there yeah. now. I'm getting out of the car and I'm putting my foot down. <laughs>
1: I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, I'm not it's never a deal breaker for me. You know, I've got two splatter games in my top ten, but it's you know, I could see it at least. I could see it.
0: Yeah, I mean look, come on. I mean I have a couple of hundred, if not a thousand I don't know how many comic books I have and I'm a big Marvel fan and there's I don't know, like close to a hundred years of comic books that I have in my collection. Pull something out, guys. Come on, give me something. Give me some Jim Lee. <laughs> I don't care what you guys do. Yeah, yeah.
1: Some of this stuff looks like it's from the 70s. It does. Um, all right, moving on. Undaunted Normandy. This is a unique uh, take on war games. It's card-driven based on like the cards you play and determines like, the unit strength and all that. The reason it jumped up on the list, and this is a very good game, by the way. Like I had a chance to demo this over the summer at Gen Con and did not pick up a copy, but it just really, really captures the kind of push and pull of a World War II-style war game in a card format which is very cool um but shut up and sit down recently did a review of this which almost always shoves something way up the list so uh i don't
0: know that the game has done anything else necessarily hasn't won any awards that i'm aware of and i think the other thing is it's been on sale pretty much everywhere at a you know pretty steep discount so i think that's also one of the things that's kind of motivated it because i've seen it on the bgg list they're like hey this is for sale and i think even today in fact I saw something and I went over and I'm like, oh, that's all right. <laughs> I'm good.
1: That's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like, I know somebody with it. I need to get it played because it looks cool, but like it's one of those rare games where I won't pick it up until I play it. There aren't sure. many of them, but it is one of them. All right. Next up on the list. This is number two is on Mars. Vitala most recent release. And I've had a chance to play this a couple of times now. I really, really like it a lot. Uh, it has a, all the things you'd expect from a Lacerda game. You have your multiple tracks that all interact with each other. You have your executive actions that you can take. You have all your resources that you build up and kind of these various tracks that determine the power of the things you do. And certain things can only be done once other conditions are met. It's a Lacerda game. If you've played one before, it'll feel somewhat familiar. But just the colonist actions versus the uh, station actions and moving back and forth and how you manage all that... Was just such a fun, interesting spin on the puzzle that I really, really enjoyed. So it's a huge, expensive, overwrought production because that's what Eagle Griffin does these days. But for his games in particular, I'm always for it and happy to see a lot of people
0: picking it up. Yeah, I haven't been able to get this back to the table locally. I got to the table Denim Packs. So yeah, I'm hoping that this rises to the level because so many of his games are good. And they fit such a unique niche that I think that uh, if this is as good, if not better, than most of his games out there, I think this is the one I'm going to draw all the time just because I love the theming of the game. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and number one on the list, and this is
1: interesting to me because there's a lot of big Kickstarter launches in the last week, but this is the one that's jumped to the top of every list, is Oath Chronicles of Empire and Exile uh, from Leader Games. This is the new game from Cole Worley, who did Root, as well as PAX Premier 2nd Edition, which was my game of 2019. Root was actually my game of 2018, so Cole's on a roll. (laughs) Um, This one is a little bit different. It's a one to six player game in which players are doing all sorts of different things. But the main idea of the game is that what happens in a single game will influence how the next game is set up and played but it's not necessarily a legacy game in which you have to have the same players playing through all those games. Also it can be reset at any time. There's no apps, there's no ripping things up, there's no envelopes. It's just the game will, nece- will change based on the results of individual games that you play. Uh, that by itself sounds really interesting because so many games are just full of gimmicks to make that kind of thing happen. And this one doesn't really use that. It's got the same artwork as Root, um, with the artist Kyle Farren my big thing on this game and the reason i haven't really bought in on it yet i'm still kind of on the fence is that it's 90 bucks just to get in on it there's no like lower level base that you can just buy in on like root i think they had a 50 or 60 dollar level that would have been great this is fairly expensive and i just haven't seen enough yet to sink my teeth into but i'm really on the fence i am following this so There's a good chance I back it.
0: I really appreciate the fact that designers and publishers are really thinking about gamers' experience and how you can get the games to the table. The idea that you have this not legacy, but legacy-esque type of game, and them recognizing the fact that you can't always get these games to the table with the same group of people. I think it's one of the problems with Gloomhaven. So I greatly appreciate the innovative design here, Again, because we don't have enough money, we don't have enough physical space for all these games. I really, you know, uh, kind of annoyed by all those designers out there or publishers out there who put, you know, three components in a giant box and then I have to stick it on a shelf that I don't have room already for. And then obviously we don't have time. So, you know, the idea that they could create something like this, especially with the root universe, so to speak, uh, is fantastic. Again, like you, Anthony, I don't know how this plays at the table, again, because it's something new. Root had some of those issues because you really did need to know your faction and the other factions to play well. And obviously their dungeon game had the same kind of situation. So when you were playing Vast, if you didn't know your characters and the other characters – you were at a disadvantage, major disadvantage. It took a long time to teach, but Vast was also a very good game, just like Root. So I'm assuming this will be a great-esque type of game. But again, I'm worried about it having to be this scenario where I, once again, have to track down the right group of players to play this game. Let me know, because I want to get Oath to the table. Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge, right? And that's... it
1: it doesn't seem quite as asymmetrical but at the same time it does have a lot of unique mechanics so i guess we'll see how it plays out it's doing pretty well though it's up on kickstarter for i don't know a few more days and it's already near a million bucks so it's it's gonna make its money and a lot
0: of people have copies out there if you're interested in it all right so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you a seat with the right group of players